subatomic gigantic occasion was a sweep in Japan nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado, the greatest kicker of Japan. And of all man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me as always, my co-host. Hello, I am Rex. And we are back at it again this month in March with another glorious episode. Mmm, ain't that crazy, man. (laughs) We have been doing pretty, pretty good, if I do say so myself. Yeah, so good, in fact, that you and I couldn't even remember if it was the week to record or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were like, did we, did we record Death Kappa last week? Did we not? Mm, pretty goofy of us. To be honest, I forgot that it was going live until, like, you messaged me that it was going <laughs> live. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> if we're just really busy with, like, what we're doing or what, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Earlier today, I was just like, we're recording tonight, right? Yeah. I hadn't even watched the movie yet. I was like, I think we're recording tonight. I think I have to research and watch the movie. I don't remember. Mm. I mean, weren't you researching a different movie entirely at some point? I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was. So I actually had got books out. <laughs> I was about to like read and like do stuff. And then I was like, wait a minute. This is for an entirely different month. <laughs> so maybe I'm sleep deprived. Mm. Oh, well, that I don't doubt. Look, man, when you're mean, you've got so much going on, you kind of forget. Like, I'm not, I, I'll be up almost 24 hours before I go to bed, and I gotta get up anyway and go to work for 10. Yeah. There is no sleep for me. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of sleep, why don't we jump in here to how we've been doing? I mean, obviously, it sounds like we've been busy, so let's let's just catch up a little bit here. We, we, we've been wanting to, like, chat. Like, we've been texting each other, but, like... It's either I'm at work, or I'm doing stuff, or you're doing schoolwork, or you're out and about, so... Yeah. We have not been on, like, the same, like, availability at all this last mm. week and a half. It's almost like we, it's almost like we live in different countries. Almost. Like, who would have guessed? Like, are we? No. Impossible. No, it's... I feel like it's obvious we we both live in the same country. Yeah, how else would we be recording this? Yeah, and like, can't you tell from the way we we speak? Like, we we clearly sound like we're we're two peas in a pod, or in this mm-hmm. case, two peas in a country. Yeah, I I I speak American. I speak burger. Wait, do you speak American? Yeah, burger, 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 why, burger, why, hamburger. Why would you speak American when we live in Australia? Well, you're not pronounced. You're not. You don't have a very good Australian accent, then. Nah, I don't. I really don't. <laughs> I I don't know enough. Like I keep to myself. It's like 
besides you, I don't. I at least I thought you were Australian. Maybe maybe I've been living a lie this whole no, time. No, I'm back. Okay. <laughs> it, was the, it was the last burger. <laughs> you know, speaking of burgers, I I tried something new today. What? It was called a quesadilla burger. I was close, and, and it was quite simply a like two flour tortillas with like bell peppers and lettuce and like a sauce with a burger. It was supposed to be like a quesadilla, but a burger. Damn. I don't know if it was that good. It, it, it didn't taste that good. Not really. Well, that's a shame. I just yeah. had roast chicken on bread and lettuce. A very, very exciting meal, as I'm sure you can imagine. Very healthy. It is. It is healthy. Yeah. A lot of carbs, though. A lot of carbs. I mean, carbs are not the devil. They're not. They're not. I had cinnamon rolls, too. Then I had some Mike and Ikes later on. I don't know what that is, but congrats. They're like little pills that are candy. Oh. <laughs> They're not drugs, I swear to God. <laughs> Mike and Ikes is not a term <laughs> for, like, <laughs> drugs, <laughs> I swear to God. Have you been taking a bit of Molly recently? <laughs> no comment. A few tablets. Uh-huh. 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 Damn. I would tell you what I've been on. Energy drinks again. Oh, God damn it. It's it's quite literally one of my traditions is every night. Tonight was a little different because I got home late. Mm-hmm. But my what my tradition always is is before I come to my studio to record, I run by my job walk in, go straight to the cooler that has these energy drinks that are stronger than Monster. I grab like two or three of them and I buy them. And people are always like, why are you in so late? And I'm like, it's going to be one of those long nights. I got a podcast. I buy them and then I drive here. So like it's mm-hmm. now one of my podcast traditions is like I buy three energy, two to three energy drinks before I drive to my studio. And while I drive to my studio, I blast music. Mm-hmm. Today was Kung Fu Fighting. Nice. Which was a mood. Like driving at three in the morning, blasting Kung Fu Fighting, drinking energy drinks on your way to a podcast recording. It is such a mood. Mm. And usually I end my drive with listening to a Cruel Angels thesis, <laughs> which is a mood of itself, no matter where you're at. Mm. My favorite is when it's like decent, like the temperature's nice out, and I drive with the windows down, and my car is just bouncing to the base of that song, and I just act like it's normal music that everybody knows. I'm like slouched down, arms out the window, one arm on the steering wheel, just like, yeah, I'm the coolest person on this road. I'm not a weeb. Yes, you are. You are. I'm not a weeb. I am not a weeb. Mm, what kind of movies do you watch? Live action Japanese science fiction weeb, horror weeb, films? Weeb, weeb. What do you watch? You tell me. Um, live action Japanese special effects and horror You're a films. weeb. 
Um, hey, I watched a British film yesterday, so like I'm oh. slightly less weak than you. Well, I watched an American film the other day. Classic Burger Man move. It was Ford versus Ferrari. Wow. It's actually pretty good, not gonna lie. Very, very Burger Man of you. Yeah, especially when it's a movie about American cars beating foreign, like European cars. <laughs> quite, quite literally, the the like <laughs> the American movie. <laughs> okay, that's pretty funny. <laughs> but it was pretty good. I get why it got nommed for a few Oscars and won a few. Damn. It's good praise. So have you seen yes. anything else that is of less of the burger kind and more of the Japanese tokusatsu kind? Uh, no, like, I had plans. I actually just got Evil Dead Trap 2. Hib- oh, nice. Hibaki, right? Hibaki. Isn't it Hid- Hideki? Hideki. Hideki. Yes, it's Hideki. It's okay. Hideki. I just got the Unearthed Films Blu-ray of that. Um, I was going to watch it, but I ran out of time, Uh, but I did get that in, and I've been wanting to jump on some other things, like in a zoom on I got in, I want to watch that, Um, maybe Kikaida Zero One. Oh yeah, I heard heard that uh, Generation Kikaida was like shutting down. Yes, Um, I just want to say, now I didn't didn't do this like I did the Return of Godzilla or the Ghidorah and Mothra Blu-rays, but I've known Mm -hmm. known about this for like almost a year now and i've been telling my friends to order this stuff because it's going out of print Mm -hmm. um which is why i just recently purchased the last uh one i needed which was uh in a zoom on yeah because i knew this was happening um it kind of sucks because like they were the first distribution company in the states to like do any henshin on physical media like dvd or Mm blu-ray Because this was before Shout Factory touched Sentai. This was before Mill Creek or BCI touched Ultraman or Iron King or Red Baron. Mm-hmm. Um, this was before uh, Kraken did Garo. Uh, like this, this is like the first, and they are amazing releases. They're so detailed and so informative. It kind of hmm. sucks that now they're they're going away. Um, yeah, I mean to be fair, their stuff has been available for a long time. From the sounds of it, it has been. It's been since like two thousand and like I want to say like two thousand and six is when they started oh, wow. releasing. Um, and they did Kikaida, Kikaida Zero One, the Kikaida reboot film, uh, in a Zuman in Common Rider V three. Hmm. Uh, Weirdly enough, they didn't do Hikider. Uh That was always a Media Blasters title, which I always thought was weird because that was that in the uh, Android Kikaida anime and the Kikaida Zero One anime, they never touched. I thought mm. that was kind of a weird choice for them. I mean, um, per- perhaps like did Media Blasters do Hikida before? They Generation might have. have done it. Possibly, they yeah. might have. And with like the Kikaida anime, probably like some anime distributor had it before. Bandai did. Bandai had the rights to both. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But they didn't do like Common Rider 71 either. But I think that was because of the price tag on that one. I know <laughs> Toei is very dead set on that one being an expensive acquisition for whoever wants to license it. Yeah. Which, or anyone who wants to buy buy a Blu-ray of it. Yeah. <laughs> New 4K got announced. And I think for even just like one of the volumes for that, it's like a good 400 plus dollars. Yes. And isn't it four volumes? I believe so, yes. And it doesn't even include the two, the three movies, right? Like that's its own other box set you gotta buy. Oh yeah, is... the movies are the two movies are part of like a box set with all the other Kamen Rider movies in four K. So like you gotta buy that separately too. So like you end up yeah. buying five sets. You're spending <laughs> like what is that? Almost twenty five hundred dollars on on just the first series of common writer yeah i mean from what i understand most japanese blu-rays are more geared towards the rental market i think which is yes, why the rental or collectors rental or mm. collectors that's that's their that's their main focus yeah which is awful for us it is because then to license them over here it's expensive and then there's always like region locking specifications special features specifications mm. even like print quality specifications and subtitle specifications Thanks, toho. yeah toho <laughs> well toei did this too with uh common writer zero one that that blu-ray shout released has oh, the subs wasn't that burned like the... in i was it was it common writer zero one where people were complaining about the blu-ray like being tv rip like being yes like... okay it's not true HD, and the subtitles are burnt into the, the footage. Mm. It's not an added layer that you can take on or off. Yeah, but that's because it's the newest... I think at the time, that was the newest common... Was it? Probably when they licensed it. Yeah, because since then they did uh, Revis and I and think Saber. Saber. Yeah. Yeah, and, and now is currently airing. Yeah. So at the time, yeah, at the time Saber was airing, Revis wasn't announced, and Geats probably wasn't even planned yet. Mm -hmm. um, Zero One was the newest show, and Toei required them, like, do it that way. Well, I mean, we yeah. still got the specials and all the shows, so, like, I don't see an issue. Um, hmm. I mean, some of the specials. Yeah. Not all. Right. So, I mean... It, but that the reason they do that in like Toho with the criterion set, like not doing the up to date transfers, is to prevent that backwards importation, which is yeah, your movies and TV shows getting better Western releases for a cheaper price. They don't want people going like to Amazon US and purchasing them. Yeah. Which, like, when Generations Kikaida first started, like, that wasn't an issue, I bet. Mm -hmm. Because, like, DVDs were region-locked. And even on, like, the DVDs, it says not for sale outside of Hawaii. They yeah. are becoming U.S. only. They don't ship outside of the U.S. Yeah. Um, I'm aware, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But even then, they, like... Common Rider V3, one show 
I don't think there's a movie or anything. I think it's just the show and the bonus features. Mm-hmm. Is typically for retail one fifty, and then on the sale it's a hundred. You can buy both Discotech Common Rider releases for that price. Mm-hmm. For one DVD, you can get two Blu-rays. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of people talking about hopefully Shout or Discotech picking up Kikaida, Kikaida Zero One in a Zoom on and Kamen Rider V3. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't doubt um, V3 will get another release someday. My only issue with that is there is no way they're going to top the Generations Kikaida. Because I mm-hmm. think at the time when those DVDs were licensed, the idea of backwards importation and region locking and shipping outside of the U.S. and wider distribution was not a thought. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to name names, but the Generations Kikaida DVDs did have a certain somebody who was prolific for Henshin Toei stuff uh, working on it that like see. had visited the sets and talked to the people behind the the shows and whatnot um who has now become somebody kind of infamous for not (laughs) producing content in a timely manner and has kind of been blacklisted in the historian fans in air quotes because of their temper (laughs) that yeah I think I know who you're talking about. I don't see the content he brought to the table coming back. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Mike Dent, who who has been working with Discotech specifically um, and editing the promotional footage for Shout, is doing a phenomenal job. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say he doesn't do a great job. He does a tremendous job. Yeah. But it's different than having that, like, hands-on experience that this other individual did have. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not, not trying to discount Mike Dent because he is a phenomenal human being from the interactions I've had with him. And just his knowledge on the genre is just amazing. Yeah. It just, you know. I feel like it's comparing apples and oranges. Like they're two different people, two different like knowledge sets. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, it is still unfortunate to see, even in spite of the expensive prices, it's unfortunate to see Generation Kikaida go. And mm-hmm. another another set of Toki series to go out of print in the West. It's funny. Every time I feel like we like make one step forward, we take two steps back. Mm. Like uh, Shout released uh, Zero One. And then we got confirmation on, was it Ryuki, Ryuki? we got confirmation on? Yeah. But then it was like. Blu-ray as well. Or did that come out before? It came out before Ryuki, but we didn't get the announcement till after Ryuki's Ah, announcement. Yep, yep, that's right. So like Shout Factory did those, but it took them like three years to release three. Yeah. So, like, we took a step forward, but because of how slow they've been doing it, we took a step back. 
And, mm. But now we have Discotech doing Black and Black RX, um, also doing Space Sheriff Gavin, Cutie Honey the Live, and now with their Nihon Knights. Oh, I did watch a Tokusatsu movie. Oh. <laughs> Thank God we went down this rabbit hole at this recording. <laughs> I watched Discotech's release of Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> How did you enjoy it? Okay, so it's like one of the last Showa kaiju movies. Yeah. That I haven't seen. So oh, you've never seen it? <laughs> no, I've ne- I never got the Media Blasters Blu-ray. So mm. or DVD. So like that was one that was escaping me. It's a lot like for me Gunhead. Gunhead's the only Heisei Toho Kaiju Tokusatsu giant robot movie I haven't seen. So that's like eluded me this whole time. So like it's it's weird to watch because it's like this is the end of kind of an era for me because Mm -hmm. now I'm up to date with what's out. There's no more going back and watching Showa Kaiju movies for the first time. Mm hmm. So on one end, it was kind of a bittersweet because here I'm watching my last like unknown Showa Kaiju movie until like maybe Three Treasures gets released or Half Human somehow gets released (laughs) or uh, I mean, I got to watch the Bermuda Depths, but that's a co-production, so it's not going to be like as like close to home as something like Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds. Yeah. Uh, so like the, I mean, aside from the TV shows, but TV shows for me have always felt like that's, it's not like how I grew up. I didn't grow up with the TV shows. I grew up with the movies. So like the TV yeah, shows they're, feel they're like. They're their own separate thing. They are. So I feel like I'm extending my, tokusatsu knowledge when i do that not going back to like my roots Mm -hmm. so it was a bittersweet ending because now i'm like i will never be able to watch really another showa kaiju movie Mm. that has ended for me Mm. and i think because that I, i i mean i want to cover that movie but I will say I enjoyed it because yeah. it it was what I grew up with mm. down like to a T. And somehow I appreciated it probably more now than I would have then because like, yes, it has your your stereotypes and your, you know, your your genre tropes of, of the times. But it's kind of nice. I'm kind of like, yes, I love this. Mm. It's no 54, but I'm like, let's. I'm, I am a hundred percent down for everything I'm seeing right now. Yeah. So, I did watch a Tokusatsu movie. Well, once again, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I need to watch more. Mm. Damn. I haven't done too much uh, in terms of tokusatsu. 
um, since Def Cap. I watched, I rewatched Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Um, 74? The, uh, no, sorry, the 93 one. Hey, say. Gotcha. Yeah. Did yeah, you enjoy but, that? Um, I didn't hate it. <laughs> I mean, the soundtrack is a bopper, so the, like you The can't... soundtrack is goaded. I'll, I'll give it that. It is. If Akube is just a mm, genius. And I I genuinely did not remember Kenji Sahara or Tadao Takashima being in the movie, so that was cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a movie. Um, it, it is, is a the, movie. It, it, is, it is definitely a good choice if you ever are doing something else and just want a movie in the background. That's good to know. <laughs> I might do that next time. Because honestly, you could just you could just be doing something and look up every ten minutes and still get and still get the entire plot. <laughs> this is true. Which is not a compliment, but you know, it's nice to know. This is true. Um Outside of uh, Godzilla vs. Godzilla 2, though, I also watched uh, rewatched Kamen Rider the first from nice. the the first second second <laughs> attempt at remaking the original Kamen Rider or third or fourth. Well, it's called the first, so I'm gonna call it the first. <laughs> well, wasn't Shin Kamen Rider pro or Kamen Rider Shin prologue like an attempt to remake the yeah. original? Yeah, and then wasn't Zio and Jay both the same things too? Sort of, yeah. Jay was I mean, made because I mean, Zio failed. Zeta, I think, was meant to be a TV show originally, I think. Well, I remember hearing that Zio didn't perform as it was supposed to um, in rental mm-hmm. sales, which is why they redid it with Jay a year later. And then Jay did better, but not good enough to like warrant anything until the first. And then the first remade it. And then they made a sequel and it all failed. And now they're doing it again with Hideaki Anno. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Kamen Rider the First is an, is an interesting movie in terms of its reception from the general Kamen Rider fandom. I think most of the fandom kind of hates it. <laughs> but like. I don't know, man. I think it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. So, Isn't it more of a drama than an action? It, it's an action drama. Um, like, it's it's got this romance subplot in it, or not even a subplot, um, between Takeshi Kongo, Kamen Rider 1, um, Asuka Midorikawa, and then Kamen Rider 2 as well. And it, it it falls so f- horribly flat. It is so goddamn funny every single scene. <laughs> and then and then just for the right action, that's just entertaining because mm-hmm. that's just that that stuff's actually quite good in this film. All the suits look pretty good, and the stunt work is great. They actually I... use their bikes. This is true. That's something most modern Kamen Rider can't say, right? <laughs> Barely. That's Kamen Rider the First is on my list. Uh, whenever Media Blasters releases them, mm-hmm. uh, 
I might break my rules of watching things in order just yeah. to watch the five movies because yeah. like the intro like those five just intrigue me so much that mm-hmm. oh I think they're some of the most interesting common rider movies um like some are better than others obviously like Zeto the goat um <laughs> but but you know I think this this Kamen Rider the first and its sequel are really interesting movies, despite the fact that most of the fandom seems to hate both of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know I've only heard bad stuff about mm. them. Mm. The next, in particular, people seem to absolutely despise. But like, maybe it's my bias as a J horror fan, but I don't know. I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I feel like I watched a J-horror movie too recently. Ah, so do I, actually. I've had this craving to watch a J-horror movie, and I think just today I finally did. Was it Ring? No. Although it, it did kind of remind me of Ring, in a way. Yeah. Hmm. It even happened to have the same director. Really? Because I know after uh, Ring... uh Originally, Nagata wasn't going to do any more horror movies, but he ended up doing Ring 2, and then he stopped doing them again. Yeah. And then I feel like he he went back into the genre after that, too. Yeah, not too long after at that, even. Yeah. <laughs> I I just can't remember what, what it was. Mm. Did it happen to have a little girl in a yellow raincoat as the ghost? No, it wasn't it. It wasn't isn't <laughs> that isn't by Nagata. God, I'm trying to remember what it was I watched. That was a J horror. Mm-hmm. Could it have anything to do with Katakawa by any chance? Oz we Company. just said We just said it wasn't Ring. Well, Katakawa did some other horror films other than Ring. It wasn't like, it wasn't Pulse. Like or, for example, they did Ring Two. They did do Ring Two and they did Spiral. And they did, they did Ring Sonic Zero. Three D. Yeah, and uh didn't they No, they didn't do any of the Juon. That was Nikatsu. Hmm. I mean Nikatsu had some involvement in this in this film. I'm I at least I think they did. Maybe I'm wrong, but you know. What what film are you thinking of? Oh, I was thinking of 2002's Dark Water, directed by Hideo <sighs> Nakata. You know, that movie, I, I'm i pretty sure I watched that. I'm pretty sure that's what I watched oh. tonight. Oh my god. Ain't that crazy? Yeah, it's almost as crazy as the fact that I keep doing this stupid bit. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we are talking about the 2002 Hideo Nagata return to J-Horror, Dark Nakata. Water. What? Nakata. It's a K, not... Not, a K not a G. Isn't it spelled Nagata? N-A-G-A-T-A? No. no, it's a K. Is it a K? Yes. Is it? Yes. No. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Hang on. I'm, I'm... Search of Hideo Nakata. N A G A T A. What? No, it's N A K 
A T A. Third quarter. Hang on. <laughs> oh wait, wait! I want to say that some places cite it as N A G A, and some don't. Or maybe it's just well, a spelling error on some yeah. of them. I mean, the Arrow Video Ring Blu-ray spells his name wrong, so... <laughs> maybe that's why. Maybe it's because of the stupid Ring Blu-ray that calls it Ringu, and yet has a whole bonus feature about how it's Ring and not Ringu. I mean, hey, the UK version fixed that. So stupid. So stupid. Goofy. <sighs> <laughs> So uh, yeah, that's the movie we're talking about. Whoa, isn't that crazy? And uh, just like Ring, it's an adaptation of the Koji Suzuki short story named Darkwater. Well, specifically a short story collection named Darkwater. True, true. The actual story true. that was adapted into the film is called Floating Water. This is true. And now, is it originally re- based on uh, Suzuki's real life experiences in some regard? <laughs> yes, I'm pretty sure his daughter almost drowned. Um, oh. I Or it was a yacht. I remember him talking about how uh, Arrow Video did an interview with him. Mm-hmm. And in the interview, he was talking about how uh, fear has to be experienced to be felt, which mm-hmm. was an interesting concept. Um, he has a really interesting outlook on horror and fear. Uh, and so in is it, this he... in the Darkwater Blu-ray from Arrow? Yes, yes, it is. Okay, I'm I'm gonna need to listen to that because I'm actually I'm actually curious on listening to an interview with um, Suzuki. I, I was really interested by it because he used the uh, the metaphor of if you're on a yacht. It's built to, like, not capsize. But in the event of a capsizing, what happens is it doesn't float because the water will fill up the air pockets that are, like, preventing it from sinking. It'll fill those up, and it'll just sink, and you are plummeting at hundreds of meters into the ocean. Mm -hmm. And because of that, like, once you have that experience, you build that fear. So people who have had that problem, if they see that in a movie, that will draw out fear in them. Yeah. Uh, another like more common one that I can speak of from personal experience is uh, like a car wreck. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of a car hitting you at 45 miles per hour on your door side. Like I was uh, driving today. I was working. And as I was driving, I had to it was a busy intersection and I had to pull out a certain time and like there was this car coming and like I, I had room, but like I got really stressed and started hyperventilating just because I had the, the thought of what if this car hits me? So like that fear came out because I've experienced it almost like PTSD. I mean, it's interesting the way we you know, feel fear from media based on our own personal experiences. Cause like, like you can take something that inherently is like scarier, um, just in all regards, but it, because if someone doesn't really have like a way to relating it to themselves, like it's not going to scare them as much as something 
that they know what it feels like. So like, let's say you got someone like in a horror movie, let's just say you got a torture scene, two torture scenes, one where someone breaks, just breaks your fingers and one where they're just like cutting your arm off and all that. The, the one way they're cutting your arm off and all that is inherently should be more terrifying, right? Because that's a more painful mm-hmm. experience, but it's usually just the breaking of fingers that gets people a lot more unnerved. Uh, unnerved. You know, a great example of that is in the 2017 film Life. Uh, in it, one of the astronauts is like trying to like poke the the the, the tentacle monster. Yeah. And the tentacle monster realizes that it can grab the hand. Ah, yes. And then it starts breaking each finger. And, like, the whole time he's screaming and, like, that, I just, like, I really tensed up. And the part that really got me was they finally got him free, but his hand was completely crushed. Mm -hmm. So when his hand pulled out, it just, like, flopped. Yeah. And, like, that just made me feel so uncomfortable. Was that Hiroyuki Sonata's character Um, out of curiosity? No. No, it was Uh, not. Because I remember Um, him being in the movie. (laughs) Yeah, he he died... I want to say he, like, got jettisoned out of the space station or something. I, I don't remember. It's been too long since I saw the movie. I know Ryan Reynolds' character eats the thing and then it like kills him on the inside Hmm. and then jake gyllenhaal like dies of like no air and then the girl dies because of the thing coming to earth and like killing her i think it was the other way around something like gyllenhaal being stuck creature on earth and her being sent into space i don't remember i just remember thinking oh i don't like this movie (laughs) <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, it's alien, but not as yeah. good. Yeah, it's okay, from what I remember. But we're not talking about that movie. Yeah, this isn't a review on life. But, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, just the way you said that was yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> zero out of ten, wouldn't recommend life. <laughs> Everything goes to crap after like five minutes out of the womb. <laughs> And it's all downhill from there. It is. Then you get taxes, and then you get, <laughs> then you get like people, and then problems. I mean, hey, hey, hey! You could just with taxes, you could just commit fraud, and it'll be okay. We here at Kaiju Conversation <laughs> do not condone tax evasion or tax fraud. <laughs> we do, however, find it funny. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> but going back. Um, yes. So, like, Suzuki hones in on that, I think, especially in Darkwater, because I think a lot of people know the idea of drowning, mm-hmm. which, at least in the movie, happens a lot. Yeah. Um, the fear of drowning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the book also, from what... So I've started reading Dark Water. Um, I have read the prologue and then the first story, which is what our film of today is based on. I have not mm-hmm. gotten further, but 
but from what I understand, a lot of these stories are are um, one of the c- central themes is that they're all set after the Japanese bubble economy had burst. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of, you know, like just it's very reactionary to that. And there's right. It's it's not a big element in floating water, but it is there. With like why the building is a aba- is ba- not abandoned, but like run so, down, yeah, run down and all that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm I'm sure some of the other stories probably go into that, and obviously they yep. also have the central idea of water. <laughs> and you know, at least in the film, the the whole movie has this really like gritty and like run down feeling. Um, everything just looks worn down. Like, yeah, it does. (laughs) And part of that too, I think comes from the intense natural color grading. Not, not like what the camera's picking up, but your natural colors, your browns, your greens, Mm -hmm. your kind of yellows. All of those are very prominent in the film. And it feels just like very like down to earth and dirty. Hmm. A lot of the color choices, from what I've been able to gather, seem to be intentional. I mean, some yes. some of them, like the um, like the water tower in the film, which is a which is a motif throughout the film for certain reasons. <laughs> um, that is intentionally brownish to give off a flesh like look, for example. Hmm. In the book, it's also described as being flashlight. That's that's gross. That's really <laughs> gross. Yeah, I mean, Suzuki does a great job at being really descriptive and kind of disturbing with his descriptions. Um, when mm-hmm. we talked about Ring, we you you brought up how in the book. Wait, did you bring up? Did you read the um, book by this point? No, no, I had not. No, this was this conversation we've had off the podcast. But in Ring, the book. The video is like 20 minutes long. Yes. And it goes into deep detail on what they're oh, watching. Yes. It it is it is a phenomenal sequence that <laughs> Sorry, you're just unlocking memory there of that. <laughs> Reading that is just so enthralling. It's it's kinda hard to put into words like God, I don't even know how to describe it outside of just telling you to read the damn novel. <laughs> but like, it, it's just, like that's a prime example of Suzuki's like detail. Suzuki and... just his writing style just it's it's very it's almost like an objective look at his characters, as I think how David Callet described it. Um. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of inclined to agree with that from what I remember, just because there's this distance from the characters, but you can definitely put yourself in their shoes. Right. Even even, uh, Nakata, uh, in his interview that Arrow Video conducted in 2016, he even brought up how Suzuki had a very different outlook on the world and how he wrote characters mm. and oh, how the world oh, works. Yeah. 
yeah, his characters are different people, particularly Ryuji and Ring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, but because of that, uh, Nagata, and I feel bad because we're going to talk, I, at least I'm going to bring up a lot about Ring because Ring was discussed heavily mm-hmm. in, this, I mean, in these I, bonus features. Well, I don't think Dark Water is just such a hard film to separate from Ring. Absolutely. Cast, crew, all that. You just can't really talk about Dark Water um, reasonably without at least mentioning Ring in it. Right. And I feel like part of that too is because it was Nakata's return to horror. Um, Mm -hmm. he, He essentially, after Ring 2 went off to do his own things uh in the late 80s he was able to attend a seminar between Wes Craven and the director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that Tom Hopper uh Toby Hooper Toby Hooper and in that seminar they said speaking to the audience they said do not direct more than 3 horror movies because if you do that will be all your life is mm so Nakata didn't want to be a horror director. He actually did not like the genre of horror. Mm-hmm. Um, but in preparation for Ring, Ring 2, and Dark Water, he did watch uh, Suppress... Surprise? The Jello film. Gallo? The 1977 Jello Wait, film. Oh, yeah. Suspiria. Suspiria? Um, another one, other ones he cited was The Omen, Exorcist, and Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Um, so he watched horror movies, but he he didn't like them. There was uh, there wasn't anything really interesting by them. He also cited uh, Nakagawa's uh, The Ghost Story of Yotsuya, one of the most famous Showa era horror films that mm-hmm. really birthed the ghost genre. Uh, another one he did was Jigoku in 1960. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nakata cited those, and especially the ghost story of Yotsuya inspired Nakata's debut, which was Don't Look Up, which is what got him Ring. ring. And partly why he got Ring was because Suzuki loved Don't Look Up. He, according yeah. in, in the interview, he told Toho, the distributive ring, uh, you need to get this guy to do the film. Mm. Now, because he was an independent director, he had one title, and he was in the UK at this time trying to make a documentary, the odds of him not getting ring were high. So Suzuki wrote him a letter and sent it to him saying, I I want you to do this movie, like you would be perfect for it. And Nakata said, I want to do it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I want to do this. And that was because he just wanted the money because he wanted to make this documentary that he had been trying to produce for a while. Yeah. So he got the gig for Ring. Ring did super well. Spiral bombed. Mm. Then they got to do Ring 2. Actually, that did really something well. something funny? So Spiral bombed, right? But, like, mm-hmm. because um, because they released together... There's like Japanese theater records that like put Spiral in the top ten alongside Ring <laughs> of that year for box office. 
which really? I find funny. Yeah, because they put because they combined the box office of both both films for some reason. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah, I mean that that's kind of where Ring and Spiral and Ring I mean, Two. I mean, not only that, uh, Darkwater has a couple other Ring connections, which I find interesting to like. Even some of the other films that Nakata didn't direct, like, for example, um, Spiral was directed by George Ida, who also wrote the 1995 TV movie of Ring. Um, right. But in 1997, he, George Ida had adapted um, Umanoshima Cruise, one of the short stories in Darkwater, into a TV show. Really? In 97. Yeah. And then another ad- adaptation of Yomin- Yominoshima Cruise um, was directed by Norio Suruda in 2007 for Masters for the Masters of Horror TV show. The episode was told, <gasps> titled Dream Cruise. Interesting. And Norio Suruda was... He directed Ring Zero. Right. And he also... Uh, he was one of the people that helped, I believe it was helped Nakate get don't look up. I know Saruta yeah, worked on the I think, scary I story he, stuff. I think, yeah, he did. But I think he was, I think he was the second choice to directing Ring. I could be wrong on. I could be misremembering that, but I think he was second choice for the producers. I know Nakata cited him and the director of Evil Dead Trap, which his name escapes me right now. But yeah. he cited those two as kind of the the spearheaders of the J horror boom mm-hmm. because of their work on the scary stories films and like yeah. Evil Dead Trap and and this idea of gore and because uh, Nakata mentioned that by the nineteen late nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties ghost story horror films had basically run dry. Mm-hmm. You couldn't do them anymore. Because, I mean, let's be real here, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, it was done hundreds of times. Yeah. There are so many ghost cat movies out there, you could do like a ring box, or not a ring box set, an arrow video box set of just die (laughs) ghost cat films. There's like a dozen. You could do so much. Like, Mm. there there are so many. Kuroneko, uh, uh, Ghost Story of Yotsuya. Uh, I'm not listing off a lot, but there there <laughs> are hundreds. Lists off two. <laughs> well, there I said there's like a dozen from Dae alone. Jigoku is another one that included ghosts. Uh, Ghost Story of Yotsuya like had three or four remakes within a small time frame. Quite uh, on has sections of it that were ghost stories. So the idea of a ghost story had run dry. Mm-hmm. Norio Tsuruda comes around and kind of reinvents it. Enter Hideo Nakata, Don't Look Up, kind of a proto-ring. If you watch Don't Look Up, which I haven't, but I've seen clips and I've I've you know researched the film enough to understand that yeah. a lot of that movie translated into ring which is partly why uh suzuki wanted him to do ring was because of his work on 
don't mm. look up. Yeah. Um, and I mean, even a then, lot of ring translates a bit into dark water as well. Absolutely. And I think part of it too was Suzuki trusted Nakata. In the interview with Nakata, he mentions that there was three things they three main things they changed from the novel. One was your two main characters to simplify the relationship. Is this for Ring? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. For yeah. Ring, he simplified it. Simplified the two main characters for the relationship. He yeah. cut down the characters from five, the main characters from five to three, to once again simplify the relationship, and change the video just because there was no way they could explore the video with the narrative they had. Yeah, not and not Suzuki, in the way the novel has it. Right, and Suzuki, I think, loved that. Um, I think he loved the what Nakata did to simplify his story. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly audiences did. <laughs> yeah. And this kind of led to Suzuki, like, happy to team up with Nakata again uh, in summer of 2001. Uh, I believe they first started June 28th 2001 on dark water uh and from there it it went on like mm. at this point everybody that worked on the film on ring uh i believe your writer i i wrote down some of your main people mm. here uh, yeah the writer i don't have him written down but he worked on ring mm. you've got the the same producer that did uh, the Grudge and all that type of deal. Yes, he he has done every American Grudge. He did all the Japanese Grudge films. Uh, I think he did some of the Death Note movies. Mm -hmm. um, he's done a lot of the those films. Yeah. Um, Nakata, Nakata, of course, doing Ring, Ring 2, The Ring 2, Death Note, El Change the World. Uh, and even the composer, uh, Kenji... Kenji Kawai who uh, worked on films such as uh, The Red Spectacles and Stray Dogs, uh, Mika Ghost Droid, in Ghost in the Shell, both Ring films, Avalon, Assault Girls, Princess uh, Blade, both Kibikichi films directed by Tamaru Haraguchi, who did uh, Death Kappa. He also directed Mika Droid. Uh, Death Note 1 and 2, which... Uh, uh, one of those was directed by Shutsuke Kaneko. Yeah. Uh, in the no, two Gans films. Kaneko, he did the Gamera um, uh, 2015. 2015 shot. Mm -hmm. And then he <laughs> also worked on Kamen Rider Build, Ultraman Nexus, and Ultraman Geed. Oh, he worked on Nexus? Mm hmm. Oh, damn. I love that Nexus' score is so good. <laughs> <laughs> and then another connection that Nakata has is he directed Death Note, I'll Change the World, which was the mm -hmm. third film in that live-action Death Note uh, adaptations. Yeah. Which I believe the producer of Darkwater also produced that one, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the film is... Everybody on it basically almost worked on Ring. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, People even mentioned how, compared to Ring, Nakata was a lot more comfortable because he had, I believe at this point, five films under his belt. 
He had mm-hmm. Don't Look Up Ring, Ring 2. I think he might have done the Ring 2. The American not by sequel? This point. Not, not by, by this point. point. That was like 2005. Gotcha. Uh, but he had this done. came out before the American remake of Ring, actually. Oh, that's right. It did by a few months. Yeah. Uh, he had the documentary that he'd been working on done. Uh, so yeah, this would have either been his fifth, sixth, or seventh project. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of seasoned. I mean, people like uh, Quentin Tarantino, like he had N- Nakata in that uh, well five-year period had done as many films as Tarantino has done his whole career. <laughs> I don't know if that was a jab at Tarantino, but it was the closest comparison I had. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at this point, Nakata was pretty comfortable. And yeah. I think we get a more stylized film because of that. And I, I, if you want to, we can kind of now go into, we've been talking about leading up to the film, but now we can kind of talk about the film itself and kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. All righty. Um, so speaking of stylized, I kind of got that straight off the bat with your title sequence. Mm-hmm. It's really off-putting because of the murky water. It's so simplistic. And this film has a lot of simplistic stuff, mm-hmm. but the style it has is what makes it creepy and off-putting. Yeah. It's it's a very understated film, for lack of a better term, in just how it's shot and lit and everything to it, really. Mm-hmm. Nothing oh. is really horribly pronounced, but like that really adds to the atmosphere, I'd say. Right, exactly. It's It's not like Ring in the sense of Ring is very... It's pretty cut and dry with its style. I don't think Nakata had develop enough developed enough yet to create a stylistic mm-hmm. movie yeah but you I really I, see I, I still yeah i'd still say ring is a bit understated in its own right at least in absolutely like cinematography, but like I was, absolutely. you were not necessarily wrong there at least like in the in the look i agree cinematography it's there um Nakata's his cinematography is always pretty simple, mm-hmm. but it's still visually interesting enough to the point that you can't not look at the screen. Yeah, and you still um, get some really good, really good shots every now and again as well. You do. Uh, one in particular I like, and this is jumping ahead, but it's where the girl who ends up missing on her walk home, specifically the uh, almost wide shot of her walking near the, I'm going to guess it's the, the coast while mm-hmm. it's raining and shuns uh, broad daylight. Mm-hmm. Like that looks really cool because of the color grading and the, the way it's the shots set up in the lighting. It just, it's so off putting. That it, yeah. it works. It absolutely works. Mm. 
yeah so should we get into start getting into the plot of the film um yeah yeah let's go ahead and do that we'll move on past uh our title sequence here i just i love i love taking note of title sequences because i feel like that kind of i go mm -hmm. by the i think it's martin scorsese you have like three minutes to draw your audience in and i feel like it immediately did that with the off-putting title sequence mm -hmm. um but yeah no going into this the film's underlying plot i guess is about a divorce and a child's custody yeah which is an interesting framing device um particularly when you consider that the short story had nothing to do with this <laughs> it didn't uh, no um it's mentioned that our main character Yoshimi um, had had gone through a divorce, um, but it's only mentioned once, and it has no real effect on the plot outside of just why she's alone with it, why she's a single mother, you know. Okay. So I think it's so interesting that they decided to expand on that and put that as sort of like a framing device of the story and for the emotional conflict specifically. Right. And I feel like that also might add to the idea of Suzuki's, like you can't be afraid unless you like can experience that. Mm -hmm. um, because let's be real here. Uh, the idea of the proper Japanese family was pretty well degraded after the industrialization in the late 60s yeah um to my understanding at least yeah from what i've heard as well same sort of deal so and in at least in america uh you know in in the 21st century especially your statistics for couples staying married has decreased exponentially. More people are getting divorced now or just not marrying now mm. uh, than ever before. Mm. So, you know, I think it's an interesting concept to touch on, especially for the kid element, which is the main focal point of the story is how the kids feel. Yeah. The kids are what draws everything to its climax and the conclusion of this film. Mm. And maybe that's why the divorce was there was to give the kid kind of this emotional arc throughout the story. I don't want to say too much mm. because I don't want to jump ahead, but maybe yeah. that's kind of what they were going for. Hmm. Maybe, maybe. But yeah, so we're introduced to Yoshimi. Her and her husband are in a divorce, obviously. And due to this, she has moved out of her, moved out of her husband's house and, it's, and is finding an apartment for her and her daughter. She finds one, um, gets there, fi finds out the superintendent of the um, apartment is a bit, a bit lazy and... But it's getting renovation, so everything will be all good, right? <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, everything's all good except for the except for that uh 
ghostly um, little Mimiko bag. Or Hello Kitty bag, as it was in the book. Yeah. Or the strange uh, water stain in the oh main yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah, that that that's obviously fine. It has to just run down, you know. Of course. The, the the building the building is old and rickety, so yeah, stuff like yeah. that is to is oh, they, to be expected. Oh, they translated it the same in the Arrowverse release. Nice. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> So, yeah, from here we are introduced to kind of the abnormal behavior throughout the film. Mm -hmm. But it also doesn't it, – it's pretty tame, all things considered. Mm. They they really use the water, uh, like the, the wet spot on the ceiling, to kind of narratively draw the, the story to the – grand finale yeah i mean the film is just the vast majority of the runtime is the film building tension for that climax where the the bubble of sort bursts <laughs> this is true so from here we we just kind of we follow our main character try to basically rebuild her life post-divorce yeah. Yeah. While her husband is yes. While her hus her ex-husband is trying to find a way to win custody over the child. Yeah. So anything he can find um for example he brings up with his lawyers that she needed she went to therapy, correct? She went to therapy like yeah, well over 10 years ago to try and say She's not mentally fit to raise the child. And that's yeah. what he runs with for the rest of the film pretty much is you're not mentally fit to do this. Yeah. And he's a very – the film portrays him as a very cold and unsympathetic um, character as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And from there, it basically is just it, – it, it's a journey of her trying to build – everything back while something is slowly making its way. Yeah. Almost as if she's so caught up in trying to prove something that she loses sight of the impending danger in front of her. Mm. Um, she does notice it, a f however, and tries to like work through it, but it never seems to, it, it never ends. She never can like get there because she's so busy trying to talk to her lawyer, prove she's not crazy, get her daughter to school, be like a mother, start a new job because she's doing all this stuff. She just, it's not like ring where your main characters drop everything they're doing, like put their jobs on the line to yeah. figure this out and save their kid. Yeah. This film has a mystery-like ring, but it's very much more of a background element right. um, compared to ring. I mean, in the novel, or in the short story, it's not as much of a focus as, say, the mystery of ring, which is the central driving force of everything. Um, right. But even then, it's a bit 
it's it's still more of a focus than in, than here where we're our story is framed around a divorce. Right. It's and it's kind of nice because uh, when I when I brought up Howling Village in our last recording, I brought up how it just hit every single J horror trope. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about Darkwater is while yes, it it definitely hits your J horror tropes, and it like. F- there's a fine line of like you feel like you can see where this is going based off of ring and whatnot yeah but suzuki wrote the story in a way that it's just different enough that you don't you don't fall into that ring like story but you also don't hit that like oh this is trying to be ring but different Mm -hmm. um and i give props to both nakata and suzuki for that there there are surface level similarities to ring but yeah i'll agree with you that that overall it's still it, it'll never be separate from ring but it it doesn't just feel like another ring right which is something a lot of j-horror films started to suffer from was mm. it's like ring it's like juan like, Which is why the genre very quickly died out, essentially, right after it had um, become popular, you know? Right. Yeah, and it was a few years after Darkwater, I should also, I feel like we should add, is Darkwater I mean, was... I mean, some people would argue it, it died around, like, the year or the year after of Darkwater as well. I would argue are. 05 personally. By then mm-hmm. you had uh your Dark Water and the Grudge out and Yeah. I, I'd say it's a bit of a stretch to say it was dying when Dark Water and Juon the Grudge came out, but like I, I, I think it's a bit more reasonable to say once one missed call had yes. come out, that's sort of when it started the interest would have started waning. Yes, especially when you think about the idea of One Miss Call being a parody of the genre, which mm. uh, we just covered a parody of the kaiju genre. And in that film, I or in that recording, I brought up how once you have a parody of a genre, the genre's kind of run its course because you've hit all of its tropes. Yeah. And, you know, once you get to that point, you either have to reinvent it or it just dies. Yeah. And that was 2004, I believe. 2000? It might have premiered in 2003. I I don't remember. I know at some point it released, had its first released in 2003. But maybe... Gotcha. Well, maybe full release was 2004. Gotcha. And keep in mind, you also had, uh, uh, like, uh, Cairo or Pulse in, was that 05? Which that was another reinvention of the genre in air quotes, mm-hmm. but it was met with poor uh, reviews. Mm-hmm. And then, like you had like torment, tormented three D, shock labyrinth three D, um, these films by like Takashi Shimizu and whatnot that just never worked. Uh, I think there's a 2009 Nakata film titled Kaidan. Uh, but like Darkwater was definitely the last one of the last films before the genre hit the fan, I would say. Yeah. Um 
because of that story and you know as as the story continues we we get to see kind of the building what, what the kind of what i find interesting is how your main characters are falling into the same problem that the problematic character of the story was in mm-hmm. uh, but it also because of that raises questions for me that I'm going to ask you once we get to the end here, oh. how you interpreted it, because I would like some clarification on how the ending is to be perceived. Okay. Um, but I mean, did you, did you want to add anything here about like the kindergarten stuff? And I mean, I feel like the film's pretty, sh- like the story doesn't do a whole lot. It's pretty much the same it, stuff. It, it's a simple, very simple story. Um, even like the, the, I mean, obviously it's based on a short story, so it's going to be much simpler than say ring, which is a two, two or 300 page novel that has a lot of moving elements to it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's dark water is dark water is a lot more about the atmosphere and i don't want to say it's about it's 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 like ring but about the characters because like that's <laughs> ring was very much also about its own characters but right. um dark water i'd say gives us more time on the central relationship specifically between the mother and the daughter mm-hmm. whereas while ring does have its moments with um ryuji and um Reiko Asakawa together, like that scene when they're in the um, inn on the island, it doesn't give as much time to it. Right. And I feel like with Ring, Ring's a little bit more of a darker outlook because the film literally ends with our main character asking her father to take yeah. his life for oh, her son. There, there like, is a... The, the I, Ring's ending is a lot more existentially terrifying than Dark Waters is. Mm-hmm. The the idea of Ring is... All, it, it's mm-hmm. the idea of the spiral that everything yeah. will come back around. Which is a central theme throughout all of the Ring novels. <laughs> even, even as far as they go wild with loop with the whole sim simulation aspect that that has an element of that spiral um with how the simulations are sort of explained to be happening mm-hmm. i mean sadako's curse was birthed from exploiting humans mm-hmm. and experimenting on them in, in the novel like uh, uh, suzuki's in the, novels, in the, in the movie I in meant, the novels right there's another origin in the in the novel <laughs> Like in in the films, the Nakata especially like just downright establishes humans only do things humans want to do because they have a motive for it. Yeah, I mean, from what I understand, from what I understand, the characters of all the stories in Dark Water are very selfishly driven. Um, mm-hmm. So while I think, I think. Th- floating water this story is probably the least 
has probably the least selfish character. I say it probably has the least selfish characters, but I haven't read the other stories. That That's the impression I'm getting. Gotcha. So to kind of wrap up the, the, the bulk of the story, essentially we go back and forth with our main character. She tries to get her new job. She gets the new job. Nothing else really comes yeah. of that. Um, your the daughter goes to school. Eventually, she runs into the ghost, and she drowns. She doesn't die, but like she gets choked up with water. Yeah. Um, and then it's just the the lawyer, which I I really like the lawyer in this film. Yeah, he he's he's not in very much, but he's he's really cool for what little he's in. He's just so likable. Right he is. <laughs> it, towards like I would say the last quarter of the film, he kind of comes in and Scooby Doo's everything. Hmm. Um, because she's like freaking out that she's gonna lose her daughter so she's about to move and he's like if you do that they're gonna like use that against you so let me look at into this i mean it's interesting how when he's introduced that is where the film completely diverges from the short story because but because the short story ends with yoshimi just moving out and, and running away from the house with um uh, uh ikuko is the daughter's name really yeah it ends with him uh, leaving the building. Huh. And So like... So that 40 whole... minutes of this movie is basically new. Yeah. Yeah, well, roughly about 40 minutes, I'd say. I mean, probably like the first 10, 10 5-10-ish minutes are original as well. Okay. Um, well, because the whole divorce thing, yeah. Yeah, and just seeing her move into the apartment as well. Gotcha. Because if I remember right, it starts with her having just moved in. Gotcha. Um, okay. Which is funny because Spiral was kind of the same where the st- where the first where there's like a whole like about half a movie or so forty ish minutes or so it's just original content. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. But uh, so he comes in. And she's like, well, this happened, this happened, this happened. So, like, they go into the apartment. He points out the leak, and he's like, you guys haven't done anything about this. Yeah. And, like, he calls them out, and they both, like, are like, crap, he's right. Um, They then go up to the room above. And the whole reason this happens is, like, the night before, uh, the daughter goes missing after she takes a trip up to the top because of all the water leaking sees that the water tower is leaking and she sees somebody she goes down to check on her daughter her daughter's missing uh she hears footsteps goes up to the level above her to where the missing girl used to live finds out the door's unlocked the whole built room is like flooded mm. she finds the daughter leaves yeah so that's the lawyer comes in shows that they haven't done anything about the leak they're like we'll do that we'll fix that they do uh they find out that the room above them was unlocked they call that out they see that it's a disaster so like they remodel it 
Um, he explains how there could be footsteps up there. Then he goes up to the tower and tries to rationalize how she saw the uh, mystery person and then calls out the manager of the apartment complex for not having the water tower routinely checked. Yeah. And then he's like, well, the bag is probably just kids being stupid. So, like, he makes her feel so much better. Mm-hmm. Mm. Which is funny, because in the in the story, she's the one who rationalizes all this in her head. <laughs> oh. He's, hmm. he's not even a character in the book. So, okay, so he's kind of written to give the mother a bit of a dynamic of, like, this back and forth internally on, am I crazy, am I not crazy? Like, am I going to lose my kid, am I not going to lose my kid? Yeah, I suppose so. I also realize we haven't talked about, like, the main problem, which is, like, how the ghost exists. <laughs> I mean, it is it is a background element, as I said. It is. Do you want to explain how the ghost exists? Um, so, our ghost of this film is Mitsuko Kawai, a mm-hmm. roughly five or six-year-old girl who had drowned, not in a well, but in a water tank, on the top on the rooftop of the apartment complex she she lived with her mother and possibly father maybe um, i feel like it's in the movie established that the mother was raising her the father yeah. left and then the mother left um and then she drew. or she was absent she was an absent mother mm. i think because the mother moved out after she went missing hmm but then the, f- oh, they said something about like the father coming back. Um, I'm not sure. I don't remember. I just remember that like in the same kindergarten that our main character's daughter goes to, uh, Mimiko, right? Hmm? Mitsuko. The bag. Mitsuko. The bag says Mimiko, though. Gotcha. Mitsuko drew a little drawing, and it said. Was it Mama Come Back, like the mum's name? I'm pretty uh, sure. Maybe it's a di- maybe different translation on my DVD, but my DVD um, said Mitsuko Come Back. Um, so I thought it was like one of the kids who was friends with Mitsuko just drew it or something. Oh, wait, wasn't it? Because it was about how her daughter was acting strange and she drew that. Right? Oh, was it? He? Oh, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure because the principal pulled the mother aside and said she's been acting really weird, and this happened with one of our kids before. And then it lingered on that image with the translation. Mm. I, I I can't remember if Ikako was the one who who drew that or not. I can't remember if it, if if the way the I called that to attention or not specifically. The way I understood it. Um, the main character's daughter, she was put in the same situation that Mitsuko was, mm-hmm. which is why they were the ones being haunted. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, she went missing. It was because her mother didn't pick her up for kindergarten, something that our main character did frequently. Because yeah. she's trying to do her job and all that. Um, she went home one day, went wow. to sit at the... While there was also some cleaners um, working on the um, water tank. Mm-hmm. They cleaned it. 
she went up there, went looking at it. Something like that. Dropped her um, red Mimiko bag in there. Went to go go for it. it And then fell in. (laughs) And the rest is history. Hmm. So in a flashback, which uh, in in a vision, sorry, that was given to Yoshimi in the film, which I thought Mm -hmm. was, I thought was interesting. um, Just thinking back to ring because that's it's very similar to something that happens in ring where ryuji and and also asakawa get a vision of um the event where sadako's mother gets um labeled as a fraud and sadako ends up killing a one of the reporters there right which is i felt like that was partially explained, though, because of Ryuji's... Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that necessarily. I just find it interesting how both of Nakata's films utilize a vision um, to help mm-hmm. the characters... Um, to help the characters get this element of the story rather than, say, in both the Rings novel and the short story where it's more the characters just figure it out themselves through investigation or or in yoshimi's case just curiosity and asking the um superintendent some questions right and i will say one of the like the flashbacks i think is interesting because it is our our ghost i guess haunting her with the knowledge is that how you would describe it pardon uh our main character, the reason she gets these these uh, visions is the ghost giving her the I haunting guess, her with the knowledge. I guess it's it's a little. I think it's less justified than in Ring, where you know Ryuji was actually a psychic in the film, um, right? For that, but yeah, it it is a little weird because. She's trying to, like, figure it out, but you can also tell she kind of doesn't want to. I will say that is probably the weird aspect of this film is, does she want to figure out what's going on? Does she just want to leave? Why is she... I mean, in the novel, or in the short story, she had a, um... She sort of had a morbid curiosity where it wasn't really... She knew it wasn't her business, but she also was curious about it. Right. Um, so maybe that's what they go- they were going for here, um, and it just didn't translate as well, perhaps? Mm. Maybe. It could be that. Either way, one thing I, I also wrote down that you brought up was this film, like, frequently has a real dreamlike feel to it. Mm. Like, there's obvious moments where it's like the flashbacks. It's like, okay, this is like a dream or a flashback. But there's other moments throughout the film that the lens kind of has that weird glare to it. That's like, this almost yeah. feels like nightmarish. Like, you don't want to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I, I think adds to that style. Um and almost that feeling of like you can't get out of this situation because she can't. If yeah. she does, she basically loses everything she's working towards. Yeah, I mean, even with like her wanting to move out, uh, as the lawyer says, 
sure, you can do that, but it's not going to look good for your case if you do that. Right. Right, exactly. And it's it's kind of like this feeling of like, you know you shouldn't do it, but you know you have to do it to get what you want. Yeah. It's almost like that you have two options, and one's really, really bad, but the other is somewhat bad. Mm-hmm. It's like she can't win. There's in like that's a typical J horror trope is like the idea of your main character can't win no matter what they lose. Something that Ring and its sequels cover very well mm-hmm. is once you're taken, you're screwed no matter what. Like it's going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> or yeah. Juon, like Juon is perfect for that. Oh yeah, Juon and Spiral. <laughs> yeah. No matter what, you're screwed. That's <laughs> Japanese horror in a, in a nutshell. Bro, at least it the doesn't... Ring movie gives you an option, and the book and the first book give you an option for for survival. Spiral's just like, no, that ain't that ain't working. Even this time around. <laughs> yeah, it's not like your typical American horror where like. If you're the good guy or you're the virgin just or... kill the, just kill Michael Myers. <laughs> None Easy. of that happens. If if Halloween was made in Japan, after shooting Michael Myers and looking, he disappeared then but then would be behind them and stab them both at the same time. I mean Michael Myers usually does do that, so Well, in the original, <laughs> the nineteen seventy eight movie. Sure. Still disappeared, though. This is true. This is true. So, then at the end, she goes searching again because everything happens again. Mm-hmm. And she it's, it's basically like she's at the well mm-hmm. in Ring. She's, she almost has it figured out. She finally finds out that the last time it's been cleaned was the day she went missing. Yeah. And... Before she can go up and what I would guess is like grab the corpse and like free the spirits. Mm. Like that's what I think would happen if if the story ended on that positive note. Somewhat like what Sadako did. They flip it and she gets scared by the water tower getting punched. Almost like she doesn't want to be freed. She wants to carry this this curse and punish the next line. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that the daughter is trying to stop the water and uh, Mimiko, right? Mimiko? Mitsuko. Mitsuko grabs the daughter, drowns her. Our main character, she comes in. Finds her passed out on the floor, picks her up, runs her out of the apartment, tries to get her out of the building. The but uh, elevator's the daughter. <laughs> yeah, the water, the elevator starts flooding, and the elevator breaks. She's looking at the door; it opens. We are expecting the ghost to appear, right? Well, it's her daughter. Yeah. And then Kawhi is revealed, which is pretty cool. Mm. Um. The first time I watched that, I remember thinking, what the heck is this thing? I mean, 
the funny thing is, I'm on my transfer of the film, you can't really see any of the face. Oh. <laughs> so I could not tell what she actually looked like when I was watching the film. <laughs> I feel like that would do it justice because admittedly the effect looks the yeah. effects in this film are not good. Um they're fine for what they are. I but... mean the CGI between the elevator that we see after this scene and the punches looks awful. The compositing sure. is not there. And like the because I'm pretty it was an actress in uh makeup for yeah. Kawhi. She looks weird. Mm. I, I don't think it's as effective as like Sadako. No. Um, but, or even like Kayako. No, but those are very very simple but very effective designs to be fair. Right. And I almost feel like Kawhi's not meant to be the scary part. It's supposed to be the tension prior. Yeah. Because when she appears, she just says, Mama! Mm-hmm. And then, like, goes to choke her. Yeah. And then from there, she realizes that all Kawhi's been looking for is her mother, and she fits the bill, so she disowns her daughter go for Kawhi to save her daughter and the elevator goes up the daughter tries to like catch her and she disappears into the water with Kawhi yeah then 10 years later it fast forwards kind of like uh, Juwan except this time it's clarified mm. and we see a teenage version of our daughter Back in the city that she was in kindergarten, we find out she doesn't remember anything really. Yeah. Um, She's been living with her dad the whole time. And she finds the building. It's all abandoned, run down. They go investigate. Or she goes to investigate, goes to the room, finds it perfectly intact. And then out of nowhere, her mother appears. Like, mm-hmm. she hasn't aged a day, and they talk like everything's okay. And then Kawhi appears in the background. She senses Kawhi, looks back, she's gone, and then she looks, and her mother's gone. Yeah. And the last line is, her mother was always here defending her. Mm-hmm. So this is where I have a question. So does that mean that her mother always loved her, and she always wanted what was best? Or does it mean that... Kawhi was going to kill her, so her mother took her life to save her, and the reason that she saw her in that building is because she's still in that building keeping Kawhi from finding her and taking mm-hmm. her life. I mean, neither of those are really incorrect. I mean, how I saw it was, so the mother obviously sacrificed herself to be Mitsuko, to substitute as Mitsuko's mother um, because of her, because Mitsuko was enraged by, you know, her own mother's negligence. Right. Um, And so obviously, you know, to protect, uh, for Yoshimi to protect her own daughter, she had to become that and has to stay 
stay in that role for seemingly forever <laughs> and just watch over, I guess. See, it's, I don't know, I just, there's something about that ending that just feels weird. Mm-hmm. I guess it's, it leaves it too open? I mean, to be honest, J-horror endings, are, that's kind of a trope in J-horror in of itself, with the curse being still in some form open by the end. Right, I guess. I guess it's just the fact that, like, at the end of Ring, it's obvious, like, the videotape has to be shared for people not to die. Mm-hmm. At the end of Ring <laughs> 2, you find yeah. out that... Hmm? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing in novel. Oh. Novels. Um, <laughs> at the end of Spiral, you find out that Sedeko is just going to take over the whole world. <laughs> and achieves that and marries Ryuji. Oh, the book, uh, the movie did not ex- do that, did not do that justice. <laughs> yeah. It does not. Uh, in Ring 2, you find out no matter what, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. In Ring 0, you find out that the curse is born. Uh, in Juon, I, I haven't, I've only seen two of them, but at the end of both of them, it's no matter what, like... You walk into that house. You're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing every One time call. Like, you get that call <laughs> you you die no matter what mm. um pulse if you go into the red room you die so like for this one it's it's pulse. like i don't blame you <laughs> uh but like Dark water is so weird and unique because of that. Like, you can go into the building, you don't die. You can be like attacked by the ghost, but you don't die. Yeah. You can go to the kindergarten and not die. You can drown, but still come back and not die. Like, it's weird. Mm hmm. Which is good because, like I mentioned, like J-Horror became very generic. And mm-hmm. Darkwater is the exception to that genericness by this point. Mm-hmm. Although it still does obviously feed into some of those tropes. Um, sim- similar beats, I should say, to Ring. Right. And then I, and I just think the ending is like really depressing. Mm-hmm. So it might be just be a few th- like those few things that just oh, it's, lead it's, the. It's definitely a somber ending. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you know, it just I don't know. It dark water is weird, but that's not a negative thing. Yeah. And then she walks out of the building and uh, she walks off screen. It fades out and the credits roll. Mm -hmm. So from here, Dark Water was one of a handful of uh, J-horror films to get American remakes with uh, Jennifer Connelly in this one. Yeah. Uh, It also received a dub by ADV, who also did the dubs for the Gamma Heisei ah, trilogy ADV and a handful of others. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
the film I think has gone down as one of the more popular J horror films. Yeah. Uh, of the time. I think it, it is hit a status that's pretty good. Yeah. It's not quite as recognized as Juon or ring, but it's probably one of the next, one of the next things to that. Right. It's, it's kind of like pulse. I would say pulse and dark water hit kind of a similar status of like they're unique, but mm-hmm. they only were one-offs. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pulse had more of a franchise, obviously. <laughs> and America. Did it not get any Japanese sequels? I don't believe so. I think it just got the American remake, and then that got two sequels somehow. Oh. So, yeah, it just it was weird. Um, but I think I, I think Nakata really shines through. Overall, mm-hmm. with this story, he also really wanted his actors to be very subtle. Yeah. Um, the little things mattered in this film, and I think it's obvious. Because it is such a basic story, but with a lot of thought put in, that it makes it more of an engaging story that once you get latched into, you want to see it all the yeah. way through. Oh, it's it's a compelling story. Like... You, the movie does a good job in, in establishing its central relationship and giving you reason to care. Right. Interestingly enough, um, there is also another, not an adaptation of this story specifically, but of one of the other stories in the not in the novel, uh, a story called Adrift, currently in pre-production. <laughs> Really? From America. Oh, really? Yeah. Darren Darren Aronofsky, director of The Whale, is currently in pre-production for an adaptation of Adrift, starring Jared Letter, of all people. (laughs) Hmm. Um, I see. This never came to be, unfortunately, but George Romero was also meant to adapt one of the other stories. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah. We talked a lot about the cast, and I I just wanted to bring up a few people that I saw appear in other Kukusatsu works. Yeah. Uh Meiko Asayo. Asayo? Uh she was the teacher. She also appeared in Tokyo Gore Police. Oh, 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 oh. Sorry, I, I was like, who the who who is this actress you're talking about? <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't remember her in Tokyo Girl Police, but nice. Um, I mean, a few of these cast members have been in a decent few things. I mean, Hitomi uh, Kuroki, the lead star, was in Ring, the final chapter TV series. So another Ring connection there. Uh, She was also in uh, Kamen Rider Decade. And uh, she was in the Toho-produced 20th Century Boys trilogy. Mm. Um, or she wasn't in Kamen Rider Deca- Decade. She was... I was looking at the other actress. Never mind. Uh, but Hitomi was in the 20th Century Boys trilogy. Yeah. Um, the, her lawyer, um, Shigemitsu, was also in not um, the final chapter, but was in Spiral, the movie. 
mm-hmm. he was a he was a detective um like midway through like when asakawa asakawa and um yoichi are just found dead mm-hmm. he's a detective investigating them um isao yatsu is the apartment the owner of the superintendent yes. and he was in Jew on the Grudge, but both of them, yeah. But was all he was the old man um, who was like signing to Tokyo, uh, going peekaboo to Toshio. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, and I, and I found this out, and I was like, oh my god, he was the voice of Ultraman Jack. <laughs> he was, and he also voiced some monsters in Kamen Rider. Mm-hmm. He was also in <laughs> Ring Two. Uh, no, that's the other guy. Oh, or actually, no. yeah, he was. Maybe I, I don't remember. I did my research. He was in Ring Two. I know. I know the other. Um, I know the the hus- the ex husband was in Ring Two. He was. Yes, he was. He was. Sure. He well. was. He was in. Uh, uh, the ex husband. Yeah, the ex husband. Yeah, he was also in uh, Kashurn K20 Goemon in the live-action Full Metal Alchemist movie. But I also wanted to bring up Isayo Yatsu, also was in Rebirth of Mothra, um, and the Hideo Nakata-directed Death Note L Changed the World. Isayo Yatsu, who was that? Oh, oh, wait, no, sorry. The manager. Yeah. Um, And then the realtor, you... uh, Tokai, Tokai, T O K U I, Tokuai. Um, he was in Zebra Man, I Am a Hero, and Ultraman X. Oh damn! And then uh, the little girl Rio Kano was in Ten Nights of Dreams. Uh, uh, Bokuenger, Bokuenger, the Super Sentai series, and yeah. she was the one in Common Rider Decade. Oh, okay. So, quite a few uh, actors that appeared in other Tokusatsu works. Yeah. However, we need to see... I couldn't find any connection. Every movie so far this year, uh, after Shin Ultraman has had a connection to Shin Ultraman, I could not find one for Dark Ooh. Ooh, what is... What connection do we have to Dark I don't think I... Found one either. Have we finally broken this chain? I think we have. Damn. And another thing we broke was there was no way I could complain about Godzilla versus Kong in this episode. Oh. Well, that's not stopping you. This is true, <laughs> but but like nothing naturally happened. The um, only thing we continued no, was no. something that we've. It, it, I I've got the natural connection to Godzilla versus Kong. This film has direction. <laughs> so, we're already a step above. This is true. And this film <laughs> was go. shot at Nikatsu, like you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Which, Death Kappa was co-produced by Nikatsu. So, mm-hmm. there we go. No, but but Death... Uh, not Death Kappa... Dark Water, you can only be connected to Shin Ultraman through another movie connection. <laughs> so we have broke two of our uh, running gags. 
but we brought the ring one back this time in yes. like Poor ring was back in full, full force, force. <laughs> like ring was at least a third of this episode i swear every other man every other thing we said was uh, ring ring this so we we brought back that from from our first horror month but to my we, to my uh, joy yes yes we were doing pretty good like we we weren't you weren't able to bring it up unless we had an actor that appeared in like a Sadako film but yeah now like the we are this one yeah <laughs> so here we are ending some of our gags and returning to one of them mm. so i i want to ask this question uh simply because both were d- directed by Nakata yeah. Which one's better, Ring or Dark Water? Ooh. You see, had it, had you asked me this question some time ago, I probably would have said Dark Water. But having seen Ring more, I, I, I like the story of Ring a lot. I, it's just a story I really enjoy. Um, so for Ring, it's interesting where I think the I think the book is better than any of the films, but I still think Hideo Nakata's Ring is one of the best horror films I've seen. Um, Particularly more, particularly after watching it sometime after we did our episode, where I really came to absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Dark Water, I think I think Dark Water is fantastic. Um, I think it's I think the film is better than at least the short story. I don't know about the full novel, but I like this adaptation a lot more than I did the short story, which I thought it's probably it's not like the worst that um uh suzuki has written i think the first story in birthday which is the last of the original ring novels was just kind of there but you know i still i still think both both floating floating water and you know that first story in, in birthday are still decent like i like them both um but yeah, I don't know. I just I think both Ring and Dark Water are, are great, but I like Ring more. <laughs> no bias, you know. Fair enough. <laughs> no bias at all. See, <laughs> I, I I agree with you on I prefer Ring over Dark Water, um, but that's simply because I feel like I find myself going back to Ring more because of the ideas within Ring. There's a lot more going on in it. Yeah, um, I mean, on top that, of that, Ring is just such an iconic yeah, it's, film. It's a classic. Uh, but, like, enough where it's got... Even if it's recognized more for its American counterpart, it's still got that international recognition, you know, where it's easier to right. make reference to the Ring than, say... Dark Water 2005. <laughs> right, right. Because Dark Water 2005 has become basically irrelevant. It, it's like a when you look up this. 
Right. When you look up Dark Water, it comes up with a 2017, I think, Mark Ruffalo film instead. <laughs> um, like the the idea of Jennifer Connelly's Dark Water is basically it it fell into the ranks of like the One Miss Call remake or the Pulse uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> trilogy or Rings. <laughs> Uh, yeah, or even like Grudge Two or Grudge Three. I mean, I mean, from what I understand, it's nowhere near as reviled as like any of those, right? But like, like it actually, I think there's a fair lot of people who like it. But like, the thing is, frankly, you're probably not going to hear it from if if you're gonna hear of a film, you're probably going to hear of it because of the original correct rather than it on its own yeah whereas ring the ring stands stood on its own uh <laughs> success wise despite and, and i think partially that's because it almost was a beat for beat remake like you you can't Besides mm-hmm. the grudge, you can't get much truer of an adaptation yeah. than the ring. I, I will like I, I, I intend on watching Pulse and One Miss Call and Dark Water and, and mm-hmm. the other grudge films. Just from to see hear, the... from what I hear, Dark Water is is very uh, the, the remake is pretty accurate to the film. It's just it came too late. Gotcha. That's that's the impression I've gotten because the Dark Water remake came out in two thousand five, so like that mm-hmm. sort of first wave of the Ring and the Grudge had already hit, right? So it it was just everyone was sort of all the American studios were sort of just riding off that wave, right? And I mean, at one point, that was the only thing keeping J Horror alive was the idea of an American remake, mm-hmm. um, and with like the coming of one missed call and the pulse sequels and and the grudge three that died. Mm. Like they became schlocky Z grade, like almost, I mean for pulse at least. And I think the grudge three, it was straight to video. Mm -hmm. Um, It just, it didn't work. It didn't work. Yeah. And then, I mean, America tried to bring it back in 2017 and 2018 with rings and the grudge but the rings bombed so hard that Paramount canceled <laughs> Friday the Thirteenth R.I.P. An American franchise they canceled it because <laughs> they're like, no, this isn't going to work. <laughs> um, and then from what I've heard, the Grudge twenty eighteen just came out and says oh, that film, nobody. That, that it's literally a film that most people who have seen it, including myself, don't remember what happened in it. <laughs> I own it, but I still gotta watch The Grudge 2 and The Grudge 3 before I can watch The like, Grudge because I know it's a pseudo-sequel to the others question. Uh, not really. It's it's only relation is actually The Grudge 2004. Cool. Uh, but like <laughs> it, it, that even then, it has Almost nothing to do with it. Bar like mm-hmm. one or two scenes. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, 
either way, like you, like you, you brought it up pretty well. Is the idea that by this point, J Horror had run its course, mm-hmm. and I mean, this was around the time Common Rider stopped using horror. Bar Common Rider the next, obviously. So that's another argument you could have for when J Horror maybe was really dying. Was around that two thousand three, two thousand four point. Mm-hmm. And you know it's unfortunate because after that, everybody because Nakata worked on stuff, Shimizu worked on stuff, Kurosawa's worked on stuff, Miike, Miike who kind of came in late to the game, but kind of in a way I think re reimagined that torture cinema of the late eighties. Yeah. Um, it just the only one that rose above all of those was me, Kate, but that's because he was writing off of Audition and Itchy the Killer the whole time. I mean, Mike um, also has never really been bound specifically by just one genre as well, right? Right, because say what and, you will about Mike, he he's known more or less for say just a horror genre rather just having a crazy style. Right. I was going to say he's more known for just extreme cinema, no matter yeah. what that may be. Yeah. Which is something Ryue Kitamura could have been, but then he fell into that, that trap of just horror. Mm-hmm. And now his works are basically ignored. Yeah, sucks. I mean, from from what I understand, a lot of his films aren't even particularly wild anymore. Post like those post two thousand films are just more tame and, for lack of a better word, generic. Frankly, and that very well could just be the. I mean, after verses that didn't seem to blow over too well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, people Maybe. will. People claimed that Final Wars was a war crime against Godzilla. They're wrong. (laughs) I agree. I agree. But like stuff like that, like the the whole push uh, Kitamura had for extreme cinema died pretty quick because nobody supported him on Mm. that. And maybe it's because his his idea of extreme cinema just. Mike isn't insane. He's beautifully crazy. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good way to describe it. Like Kitamura's a, a hot mess, while Mike's like this weird. It's like the beauty behind the madness. I suppose that's one way of putting it. Sure. But <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, back back to, I don't even remember how we got on this little tangent. That's a good question. Neither do I. <laughs> I, <laughs> I guess it was just establishing how Dark Water was kind of the beginning of the end in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, for a multitude of things, whether it be the American adaptations or just J-Horror in general. Mm-hmm. 
But that's not to say J-Horror is done, especially on the podcast. There are plenty of titles to cover still. We haven't even touched Koichi Kurosawa. Mm -hmm. Um, There's still a handful of Ring films to cover. (laughs) A few more than a handful. Well, what's available stateside? Ah, ah, right, right. Because all we have access to is Spiral, Ring 2, Ring 0, and Sadako 3D so far i mean i'd like to see more i mean sadako vs kayako technically as well yeah technically um we still have I'm a few isn't it, technically <laughs> this is true this is true uh we've got two juon films plus juon origins um all oh, right you don't you don't get those uk blu-rays mr et i know it's a funny Elijah man I'm disappointed. I was so excited, and my dis- excitement. I forgot that was a UK exclusive, and you're you're pedantic. I forget that. I so. am. I am. Thank you so much, Rex. I am pedantic. Disappointing. <sighs> yeah. Disappointing. I know. I know. I'm a disappointment. I get reminded that every day. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my inner Rex came out there for a second. Oh. Well, at least he acknowledges <laughs> where, where it comes from. <laughs> Glad uh, to be on on you. Yeah. Well, with that being said, we've probably talked for about the runtime of the movie. So, once again, uh, well, we did have about 30 minutes of pre-log in, so... It's it's about the runtime of the movie, roughly, a little bit, a little less. Um, a little shorter episode than we have been having, but that's that's kind of a good thing because, mm. you know, those three hour episodes were kind of killer. I mean, this recording at least ain't far off three hours, so it's still gonna kill. This my is true. This is true. Uh, but we can go ahead and wrap things up here. Yes. Please. Um. <laughs> We do. We have a very busy schedule ahead of us, so don't be afraid. There will be more kaiju and tokusatsu right around the corner. Um, I'll just say this. We have had to plan recordings ahead of time because we got to make mm. sure we can get everything we have planned done. Um, so stay tuned for next month. Next month, you're going to you're going to be getting quite a good amount of kaiju conversation (laughs) with that being said rex why don't you tell the lovely listeners where they can find you if they enjoyed your voice and all you all of your knowledge on the ring franchise and koji suzuki and hideo nakata ah gladly well dear listener you can find me on youtube at rexino on twitter at rex underscore xenomorph and on Instagram, Rex underscore Zeno. If you want to see some of my writing on Tokusatsu, then check out the Tokusatsu Network. And with that, I'll go ahead and link myself here. Hi, I'm Elijah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ET13Productions, on Instagram at ET13Productions, or on YouTube at ET13Productions. If you want to read my writing, Check out kaijuramenmedia.com where I post web articles 
and check out Kaiju Roman Magazine, a quarterly magazine that I manage, and I write articles for. Um, the most recent issue, issue 8, I conducted an interview with Kaiju Kim on Kaiju YouTubing. I've also written articles on topics such as Gogola, the Hindi Kaiju movie, uh, Zebra Man, the, uh, the history of Godzilla and Kong fighting, Daimajin, Anime Godzilla, and a few other topics. Mm. You can also find some of my work on GodzillaMovies.com. Not a lot, but a little bit. Just a little bit of soy. Enough to read my content and go, oh, my God. oh boy. <laughs> uh. If you want to find my personals, I'll let you look for that. Uh, there's a... Uh, it's easy, pretty easy. And I'm going to take this moment. I do this all the time. I don't mean to just be like promoting my own stuff. But I have two exciting things to uh, briefly talk about. One, I have become a uh, Rondo-nominated writer for Giant Bug Cinema, A Monster Kid's Guide. I brought this book up when we covered Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. And I have found out recently that I am now a nominated award nominated writer for that book if you want to find out how to thank you i uh i just i woke up and it was there and i was like oh this is different i didn't wake up expecting this so if you want to help uh the me become an Rondo award-winning writer, here's what you can do to help that. Voting has started, so you can support Giant Bug Cinema by emailing T-A-R-A-C-O at AOL.com and casting your vote. You select a nominee from each category on the ballot, which you can find on RondoAward.com, and then just type in your name in the uh, nominations you vote for, Write Giant Bug Cinema in there under uh, Best Book of the Year. And that will help us get the votes and potentially win. I would greatly appreciate that if you guys uh, helped that. I'd love that. That'd be an interesting thing to uh, put on my resume. Was not expecting that yet. Mm. Um, <laughs> besides that, I would like to also announce, and I haven't told Rex about this, so Rex is oh. finding out too i um for the last few g fests i've been solely focusing on just going buying stuff and that's it this upcoming g fest i am hopefully going to be attached to a couple panels uh representing my kaiju ramen media team and i have decided this year i'm returning after uh entering twice in 2018 and 2019 I'll be entering to the amateur video contest with a brand new short film, all originaled. Um, and the title of it is going to be SOS Seek Safety. Hmm. I don't want to reveal too much about the foil, uh, short film. I don't want anybody getting any bright ideas, but uh, I'm really interested in what people think of this. Uh, I'm kind of pulling from some of my past works to kind of create this this new idea. 
and we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see if I can take home a winner or not. Um, and on top of that, I guess I am still working on my uh, full-length feature film titled Boxed In. Uh, as I mentioned, I shot some more footage tonight, and it's going pretty well, pretty well. But enough of me talking about myself. As for the podcast, the what is important, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. That boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. I'm going to take a quick gander at our Apple Podcast page to see if anybody has left us a review. They have not. We are still sitting at a 3.1. If you guys could help bring that up by giving us a five-star rating, that would be greatly appreciated. Beyond that, if you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I don't kind of not. I'm mm. podcasting mm. on a MacBook Pro. I'm not I a liar. I, I think, just refuse. I think that's an Apple device, bro. I think it is, too. But everything else I use is not an Apple device. You or can rate it? us on Spotify. I swear to God, it's all not Apple. But you mm. can rate us on Spotify. That's a new thing they can do. And they also have a Q&A where you can say if you like the episode or not. If you want to leave us feedback, that's another great way. If you want to stay, to, stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, tweet us and follow us on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram at Kaiju underscore Converse or like us on Facebook. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you, you can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com. All lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually we'll have original artwork, but until then, you can have our awesome logo to sport. If you'd like to chat with us one-on-one, check out our Discord server. Or you, can ch- or you can chat with others on similar things that you like. Recently, we had a discussion about... Drum roll, please. Uh, Ultraman and the gore in the Showa-era uh, television shows. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video. We've been posting exclusives to the channel like bloopers... Uh, for our episodes, mini-sodes talking about news or other subjects. We also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Kurchevsky on the channel. I'm probably butchering his last name. I apologize. But a huge thanks to our Rex for edit to our Rex. He is our Rex. He is our Rex. Rex is ours. <laughs> Apparently that was funny. Yes. Yes, it was. You're, you're our Rex. You're nobody else's Rex. <laughs> and if you get a compliment better than that, please let me know. I've gotten lots of better compliments than that, but thank you anyways. Dang. Okay. A huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and the other content we upload. As mentioned, his links can be found in the description below under his link tree, so please support him. 
Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny Devana of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals on our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at Danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website, GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. That was a mouthful. And a huge thanks to Gretton Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster PS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at Giant Monster BS or on any podcast platform under the name Giant Monster BS. Look at that. I finally got it in the script. What a link. I'm not like, let me look here real quick. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here. Thank you guys so much for listening and remember to stay dry. Stay away from any water you see that's dark. And stay up. Stay away from old rundown apartment or or anything that even slightly resembles a well. I have two wells on my property and my best friend yeah, lives at a rundown apartment. <laughs> Actually, fun funny uh fun fact. My best friend's apartment kind of has a similar layout for the steps like uh Juon. <laughs> And I've pointed that out, and he's like, yeah, it kind of does. So, well, a little I, freaky. I, well, I, I think you're in a bit of an unfortunate predicament there. I've actually looked in the well a few times to see if I see any, like, crawling, like, dead bodies. Mm. Nothing yet. You should go down and check for any bones. I've thought about it. I've thought <laughs> about, but the only issue is it's like a 50 feet, like, drop, and it's a tiny ass well. Just get so like oh. Yeah, but like what if yeah. I get stuck or That'd like what, what if what if like somebody funny, covers what if somebody covers me up or like there is a living like dead girl down there it's like I don't wanna do that. I might pay somebody. But it would be funny. It would be funny and then Although, I die and then probably more fitting for it to happen to me, honestly. Given all my Honestly, yeah, yeah, and but see, if I die, you have to host, schedule, mm. do all the like graphics for the podcast. Oh well, at least edit. I get a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, with that, I think it's a good note to say. Please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Literally. Literally. Bye, guys. Ciao. We are set. We are in debt. There's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Just a not too big now, baby. His name's Elijah, baby. And also Rex now, baby. We love those kaiju, baby. And you will too now.